What's going on, guys? We're here for Hostile Q&A number five. And again, it's probably going to be a two or three parter because there are a ton of questions here that I want to try and get to. Uh, I had to cross off some of them. So if I don't get to all of the questions or I don't get to your question, I apologize. But I try to keep to the ones that um, I feel are the most relevant to the broadest spectrum of people, the ones I kind of hear over and over again that a lot of people want answered. So we're going to get into it. Remember to check the description because the timestamps for all the questions are in the description. So if there's a specific question you're looking for, it'll be in the description. And um, also in the description, if you're looking for online coaching, my personal website, foodabiad.com is there. If you're looking for clothing, my merchandise website and company website, hostile.com. Uh, it's also there. And if you want to follow me on Instagram where you can ask your own questions, uh, that's where I take all the questions on Instagram. So just find me there at Fuad Abiad. Follow me there and just wait for the posts for the question, uh, the Q&As. And once you see that post, you can ask your question below and have a chance to have it answered. So that's all that shit. So let's get to the important stuff. You want to get to the questions. So let's get into it. Uh, I'm going to start from the questions that first came in to the ones that last came in and answer as many as possible. So if you want your questions answered in the future, try and get them in first because I always start at the bottom and work my way up. I feel like it's only fair. So let's get into it. Okay. Question number one comes from C Stewart 82. Oh, that's sorry guys. That's the first question. He was just asking about stretching. Yes. Stretching is important but I'll get into it more. All right. A question comes from Alex Tilinka. You mentioned in previous videos how on prep mentally you were your biggest enemy. Can you expand on this? Doing my first prep and seem to be in the same position. Yeah, it's very simple. Um, I have a tendency to let my anxiety get the best of me as many of us do. And I overthink and overanalyze every little thing. And I might pose too much or something um, during my prep. You know, I might wake up in the morning, take a look at myself in the mirror in the morning. Then I would take a look at myself two hours later. Then I would take my look at myself post-workout. Then I would take a look at myself before bed. And in my younger years, you know, you look different throughout the day. So in the morning, I might look great when I wake up. I'm nice and dry. Uh, before I go to bed after eating all that food, I might be like really full muscle looking, but also watery. And that has a tendency to kind of mess with your, with your mind. Um, so those things would trigger me. And it, it got me to a point where I was like, you know what? I'm going to take a look at myself in the morning. I'm going to take a look at myself post-workout and that's it. And I had to consciously recognize that, okay, you're a little watery. It's not a big deal. These things were all worse probably in my 20s. As I grew as a bodybuilder, I started to recognize that these things weren't that big a deal. So when the small things started to go away as I got older, what really started to affect me was the pressure of the shows. Now, I can't, I can't say that those things are easy to solve because the pressure of the shows is if you're not doing it for life and it's just a, a hobby or a passion that you're doing, there's still pressure because you want to win. You have family there. You have friends there. Or if they're not there, you want to be able to tell everybody after the show that you won. You put all your heart and soul into this. You died. You suffered. You want to win. And there's a lot of pressure. 
I don't really have the answer other than the thing that helped me the most was finding a coach that knew that these pressures got to me and knew how to keep me calm. He knew how to tell me what I did was just put my faith in my coach. If he gave me a diet, I would, if I second guessed it, I would stop myself and say, Nope, you trusted this coach. So one of my rules was always whoever you hire, whatever they tell you to do, do it a hundred percent. That way when the show is done, you can't say that you messed with their program and it's their fault. It's not their fault, but like, you have something to point to to say this program did not work for me. And if you move on to another coach, same thing. You follow that coach's protocols. Now, what that did for me by putting the onus on the coach was it took the pressure off of me and would allow me to just focus on what he said to do and do that to the best of my ability and try and block out all the other thoughts. Now, if you're doing your own prep, my number one piece of advice is get a coach. If you're a high-strung person, a high-anxiety person, uh, and somebody that overanalyzes everything, it's probably best that you get a coach so you don't have to mess with this stuff every day, especially when you're on low body fat, low calories, depleted from the diet. Uh, These things can all mess with you. So if you're a really high-strung person, I would not. That's one of the reasons why I don't prep myself for shows. I have a coach. They tell me what to do. I do it. I don't have to think anymore. It takes the stress off of me, takes the pressure off of me and allows me to focus on just the job at hand. So that's my advice. Neva Kanduk says troubles with falling asleep. Any suggestions? Uh, Yeah. Cannabis. My number one cure for uh, my sleep troubles I was having was edibles. So, um, if I have back pain, it would help. If I just couldn't sleep, it would help. Uh, a lot of times I, ha- I can go to sleep, no problem, but I have trouble staying asleep. Um, if I found it helped in all aspects. So just 10 milligrams, usually like, you know, sometimes you buy those little gummy bears or I'm not sure where you're from, if you even have access to this stuff. But if you have edibles, like five or 10 milligrams is all I take. It usually helps me sleep. Like I said, I usually don't have trouble falling asleep, but even if I do, it'll help me kind of nod off eventually. But usually I can fall asleep, no problem, but it keeps me asleep, which is the main reason I take it. And if I do have pain, I prefer not to take a whole bunch of ibuprofen or stuff like that. So I usually take edibles to uh, help me with any back pain or any aching pains that are going to keep me awake. So those, that's to me, that's the main go-to. Um, MD, M. Dekal. Sorry if I, I butcher these names. Uh, besides your parents or family members, who is someone you looked up to when you were younger? Any athletes or bodybuilders? Uh, yeah, I always look to my peers. Um, a lot of people don't look to their peers. They, they try and compete with their peers. Uh, I compete with my peers. I'm not saying I don't, but at the same time, I also look to those who are successful and I try and find a commonality. So let's name a few. So if I look to Branch Warren, what is he doing? Okay. When I had a chance to talk to Branch, his, what I took from Branch was it was just constant discipline. It's always on the diet off season, pre-contest doesn't matter. He eats like a bodybuilder, trains like a bodybuilder, thinks like a bodybuilder. He's just 
a bodybuilder 24 seven. So it's that all out discipline. That's what I took from Branch Warren. If you look at Evan Senapani, what do I take from Evan Senapani? Very, very, um, pays a lot of attention to detail, very methodical in his approach, uh, whether it be with the vegetables or the different reasons he's eating vegetables, different minerals, different vitamins, different spices he's using to help with his body's progression or his overall health. It's a lot of attention to detail. So I took that. That's one of the things Evan, I got from Evan. Now, if you look at Ben, Ben's, Ben Pakulski, you look at Ben, his, what I take from Ben? Well, very good at marketing, uh, e-commerce marketing, all these types of things. He kind of figured out his niche and he, and he really, really honed it into uh, his little corner of bodybuilding. He's done very well with it. I could go on and on. Like if, I, if you look at John Meadows, what did I take from John Meadows? Uh, apart from being extremely smart, John has the ability to stay very calm and think of things very cerebral, really. Like uh, it's almost like he doesn't, things don't get him. Even when things are at their worst, he seems very in control of the situation. So I guess what I'm trying to say is the point I'm trying to, trying to make is outside of my father, for example, I look to the people around me to see who is doing what and why are, why are they so good at it and how can I use that to make myself better in those areas as well. Uh, I don't believe in just copying people's shit, like just being, you know, oh, I like that guy's idea. I'm going to steal it for myself. No, but I believe in, oh, that guy's got a good idea. How can I do that my way and make it my own and learn from it and make myself better with that type of technique? So that's kind of always how I've done it. And some people call that like, oh, you don't have your own mind. Oh, you look into too many people are taking their ideas, this and that. I don't believe that. I believe if people, someone's successful at something, like I said, I don't think you should just out and out copy what they're doing, but you should find out what's making them successful at that thing and try and learn how you can apply it to your own life. So uh, I've never learned how to apply the detail that Evan does, for example. I've, I've, I'm slowly learning how John approaches uh, people and business, and I'm trying to put that into practice in myself. So anyway, I don't want to make the answer too long, but the point is the people around me are the people I get my um, information or look to for new ideas and new ways that I can be a better person. Cause everybody around you, as long as you surround yourself with good people, everybody around you has a quality. They all, everybody has their faults and everybody has their qualities. So I, if you, as long as you're honest with yourself and you know what your faults are, you know what you're, you're, you know where you're lagging, uh, you can look to those people to try and learn how they're doing those things better than you are. And that's what I do. Um, Super Shaw 786 says, intra-carb drinks such as Vitargo and gluco, or glucose, do you think it's a positive or a negative during cutting? Well, I can't say if it's a positive or negative because 
it depends on your program. If you have all your carbs just in your pre intra and post workout, then it could be fine. Um, it depends on your diet. You can definitely do that if your diet is set up for it. If you're asking me if I do it, no, I use my workout time, uh, to burn calories, if that makes sense. I know it's an old school way of looking at it, but that's how I do it. I eat before the gym. I eat after the gym, uh, before pre-workout, intra-workout, as far as shakes go, there's no calories, you know, it's like calories, but they're minimal. It's like essential aminos, that kind of stuff. I'm not adding, you know, protein or carbs or anything. I'm not adding any extra calories during my cutting phase, unless it's a refeed day or a cheat day. And my coach has said, you know, put 50 grams of, um, dextrose or whatever carb powder you use, put it in your intra workout just for extra pump or something like that. Then that's when I'll use it. But most likely during a cutting phase, I'm not going to use that stuff. Uh, Ali 2202 says, what is the best cutting diet? How do you feel about the current cutting tools, intermittent fasting, carb cycling, keto? What I'll say is this, if you're a bodybuilder and you want to be a bodybuilder and you want to hold on to as much mass as possible, I believe in a carb cycling diet or a balanced diet uh, or low carb diets work, but I don't believe in not eating. So if you want to be a bodybuilder, you want to keep as much muscle as possible or gain muscle or stay full and stay, have that round look. I don't believe in keto because I tried it. And although it works for cutting fat and you are going to retain muscle, it just doesn't feel good as a body. I didn't, I didn't feel good training on a keto diet. Um, intermittent fasting, like I said, excuse me, as a bodybuilder, I don't believe not eating is a good way to keep muscle, gain muscle or retain muscle. Um, carb cycling is not new. Carb cycling has been around for a, been around for a long time. And I feel like that is the best technique to lose fat or just a low carb diet, um, with small spikes, which is also a form of, of carb cycling. But I feel like those two diets for me are the best ways to get shredded. And like I said, eating every two to three hours, usually six, seven meals a day, uh, that's going to keep the muscle fed and keep your training uh, running on high. Muscle Freak 47 says, ever used an, any intra-workout carbs? Your opinion on it. Sorry, guys. We just kind of went over this. I did leave it in there because I do use intra-workout carbs in the off-season. So in the off-season, um, when I'm really trying to gain weight, like if I'm having trouble gaining weight normal food, I'll do like 50 grams or 30 to 50 grams pre-workout, 30 to 50 grams intra and another 30 to 50 grams post. And I know some of you are thinking insulin. I don't use insulin. I just, um, I'm trying to add calories where I can and I get a better pump sometimes with those carbs. Uh, but I'm not, like I said, I've said in previous Q and A's and previous interviews, I don't like insulin. So it's not why I'm adding the carbs but I add the carbs, like I said, for that more full look and to add calories into my overall diet. Uh, AZ Wrestler says, which is better, pure citrulline or citrulline malate and why and how much should be taken? Like I said, at the beginning of many of these, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a guru. This is just my opinion, what I use, what I do. 
my opinion is pure citrulline is best. I don't want the malic acid uh, involved. I just want the pure citrulline. And uh, I don't know why I would have... uh, Sorry, guys, my phone's going off here. I don't know why I would have a mix of anything. If you're trying to, like, if if you want something pure, like some people have said the malate makes it uh, a better, absorb, more absorbable. I don't believe that. I think the pure form of it is what I want. I feel like it's what's best. And uh, six grams is probably the minimum I would go with every, like, pre-workout. So six grams pre-workout, sometimes I take up to nine to 12, depending on the day. But I, I feel like that's kind of overkill. I think six grams is a good dose pre-workout to take pure citrulline. If you're taking citrulline malate, you're going to have to double that dose. Like if it says citrulline malate and it says four grams, you're only getting two grams of citrulline. So you're going to have to triple that dose to get to six grams. So make sure you look at that scoop and you look at how much actual pure citrulline is in that scoop. Because it's, if it's citrulline malate, it's going to be a two-to-one ratio. So you're only going to get, if there's four grams, two grams of that is malate and two grams of that is citrulline. So you're going to want to make sure you're, you're going to have to double or triple your scoop to get that six grams. So personally, I would opt to find a supplement that has pure citrulline, and now that's the way I would go. Testosterone booster for a 19-year-old, good or bad? Uh, I don't think you need it, personally. At 19 years old, your testosterone levels are should be humming along a, a great, unless you have some type of ailment. So I really don't feel like it's necessary for a 19-year-old to take a testosterone booster because how much higher could it be? I mean, it's going to be, it's peaking at that age anyways. Thomas X-Frame Army says, was there any point coming up in bodybuilding where you felt like you hit your stride with progress? Or was it always two steps back, then three steps forward? Um, no, I felt it depends what you mean by two steps back. Some people think gaining weight and getting a little bit chubby in the offseason is two steps back. I never looked at it that way. If you mean getting hurt or not making muscular progress is two steps back, yeah, those things have happened. But there, has, there were long bouts where they didn't. So from 20 to 30, I really didn't feel like I took any steps back. My body just kept progressing every year I got a little better a little better a little better when I got to the pros at 27 I did well for the first couple years and then it kind of was stagnant and I felt like I wasn't pushing my body enough so I started to push real hard and I think my progress slowed from 32 it got better and then it started to get I started to push too much it started to get worse so I from 31 32 I got better than 33 34 35 I got worse because I was overdoing it, trying to get better. I want to get better. I started doing more and more and more, and it was just beating the shit out of my body. And when John Meadows took over at 35, 34, 35, I got better again. So, and then there was like two or three years where I kept getting better. So it doesn't have to be two steps back, three steps forward. If you do it right, and I'm not, I, I didn't always do it right. If you do it right, and you just listen to your body, you can just keep progressing. As long as you just go slow, go slow and and do it because you love it and don't try and force shit. You can keep progressing and keep progressing and keep progressing very slowly and 
moderately over time. I think when you try and force things that your body does not want to do, that's when you start going backwards. Uh, Anas Yusi says, what do you think about this one confused me, but I left it in because of the number. I think he's trying to say, what do you think about me starting a cycle with my body fat at 25%? I'm 20 years old. My purpose is to compete. Okay. This is what I have to say. First of all, starting your cycle is your choice, not my choice, not my opinion does not matter. You have to decide based on your knowledge and your desire when you want to start your cycle. What I will say is if you're at 25% body fat, I feel like you lack proper knowledge of what your diet should be. And if you lack proper knowledge of what your diet should be, you should not be starting a steroid cycle because if you can't get your diet right, it doesn't matter how much steroids you take. This is, what I, this is why it bothers me when people say, oh, it's all steroids. I can give you all the steroids in the world. If your diet is shit, it's not going to do anything. Now, on the other hand, I can take away the steroids and give you a proper diet and you can work your fucking ass off and you can make a lot of gains with just food. So one is more important than the other. One does not work without the other. So if your body fat is at 25%, you need to learn how to eat. Once you learn how to eat, once you learn to control your body weight, once you know how to fix your overweight problem, that's when I think you should go ahead and start your cycle. If you're asking my advice, that's what I would do. Um, I don't think you should use steroids to fix your problem. I think your problem is knowing how to eat. You need to learn that first and then go from there. Alex Peister says, any big plans after your bodybuilding career ends? Do you have any kids? Uh, keep the videos coming, blah, blah, blah. Thank you very much. Um, I don't have kids. Me and my wife have just been very focused on our careers. We um, have not opted to have kids. I'm not sure why. It just wasn't a thing for us right away. We have discussed it. We've discussed adoption. There are a lot of people out there that, uh, a lot of kids out there that don't have homes. So we're considering that. Uh, as far as what I'm going to do after bodybuilding, I have a lot of options right now. I'm kind of leaving things open. I'm doing the podcast thing and I'm doing, uh, I'm still bodybuilding. So I have not retired and I still plan on competing. Uh, how realistic that is, is depends on my body. I don't know if I can stay healthy and keep from tearing any more muscles, but I have not officially retired and do not want to. So I've not crossed that bridge where I've decided what to do next. I have those plans in line, but I don't want to discuss them openly right now because I'm, I'm still a bodybuilder and I'm still focused on getting back on stage. So until that chapter is closed, I don't really want to discuss what my next plans are, but they are coming. Derek Meters says, I'm six weeks post-show, gained about 40 pounds. It's hard to sleep, breathe, and tie my shoes. I love the way I look right now, but feel super unhealthy. Think I should cut down or deal with the growing pain. Uh, bodybuilding is not black and white. So what that means is you don't have to be 40 pounds and feeling like shit, and you don't have to be cutting down. There's a way to look good 
and not feel like shit. What I suggest you do is you probably feel that way because you're six weeks post-show, gained 40 pounds. I'm assuming you try to catch a rebound. You may still be on shit and um, you're probably eating a ton of food, trying to keep that full, really full feeling. What I suggest is this, if I'm right, cut your dose in half, let your body relax a little bit. And aside from that, as far as the food goes, I would try some carb cycling. You're not going to lose the fullness. You're not going to be as blown out all the time. But if you give your body a break some days, like if you're eating like 800 grams of carbs, take a couple days a week and eat 300 grams of carbs. That will give your body a rest and give it a chance to catch up. Uh, it will it will leave you feeling big and leave you feeling good in the gym, but it will reduce some of that unhealthy inflammation, like really swole feeling. The problem is if you're like me and like the rest of meatheads out there, we love that extremely swole feeling for the hour that we're in the gym. It just sucks every other day throughout the rest of the day. Now, being swole and feeling uncomfortable is part of bodybuilding, but if you feel unhealthy, that's a different thing. When I feel swole and I feel great and I feel, but it sucks. I can't tie my shoes and I can't walk up the stairs. I don't necessarily feel unhealthy. It feels uncomfortable, but if you feel unhealthy, then you're going to have to start doing some things. Get some curcumin, take some curcumin, take some K2, get your vitamins and minerals in order. Like I said, reduce your stack a little bit. If you're taking insulin, maybe stop. Sure. Your pumps are going to go down a little bit, but if you can retain 30 out of that 40 pounds you put on and you're in good shape. You probably feel better, but you're not all the way down to nothing. You're not cutting. Just kind of reduce things a little bit and let your body catch up. Matt Kawa asks, thoughts on the new 2020 Midage and Corvette? I left this in there because I love cars and I think it's beautiful. I think it's about time America produced a mid-engine vehicle that didn't cost $500,000. Um, and I also think that a base Stingray with just a small sports package, the Stingray with the Z51 package is going to run a zero to 60 in three seconds. That's supercar numbers for $50,000 US. That's pretty insane. And I think that's the age we live in. And more and more cars are going to start hitting that three second number, which is just crazy. Um, but I think it's beautiful. I think they did a really good job. The interior looks nice. The exterior looks nice. And uh, if my financial situation permits it, I would definitely plan on getting one as soon as the Z06 or ZR1 models come out because I think they're going to be a little more aggressive. So I'm just kind of waiting for those. Uh, Daniel Orens has a three-parter here. So you ask a lot of questions, you get fast answers. So I can move on. So if you had to do strongman powerlifting or physique, which one would it be and why? Um, powerlifting. Assuming I could stay healthy. I've always thought powerlifting was intriguing. There's something about just doing three lifts and getting under a bar and just crushing a fuck ton of weight. Uh, it just scares the hell out of me because I get injured so easily. I don't know if I could ever handle that. But barring that, if I was injury-free... Uh, yeah, powerlifting would be my choice or strongman. It definitely wouldn't be men's physique. Uh, not that there's anything against men's physique, but it's just not my thing. So it would either be 
powerlifting or strongman, probably powerlifting. If you could share the stage with any bodybuilder, dead or alive, who would it be? I don't know. Uh, I shared the stage with everybody. I want to share this. I've never really thought of that like that. Like, oh, I'd love to be on stage with Ronnie. Why? So he could fucking dwarf me. <laughs> like, there's no point. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'd like to say I competed on the same stage as Ronnie just so I could say I competed with the greatest ever. But I've never really thought of that. But if I had to pick one, that would be it. Um, any advice on song choices when doing your routine, something sentimental to yourself or something that'll get the crowd pumped? My personal opinion on uh, song choices for routines is your taste does not matter. I've seen guys come out to some music that I know they loved, but the crowd is like, what the fuck am I listening to? Your taste does not matter when it comes to routine. If you want the crowd to be, to be happy or to cheer, your music has to suit you. So, and you also have to be able to pose to it. So personally for me, like I either pose to like hard rock, which is not often, but more so like dramatic, uh, dramatic, like theme music, or I don't know if that's what you want to call it, but dramatic music, like the orchestra type shit, because I feel like there's a lot of hard hitting notes that kind of gives that crowd, like it goes with my posing. My posing is very hard. So I want that hard, those hard notes in the background. Whereas if you pose like a Sean Ray, then you can come out to Mariah Carey and you can crush it. So your posing has to suit your physique, your posing style, but it also has to be something the crowd can feel, right? So if you put, usually if you pick music that fits your, your physique and it's something you can pose to, usually the crowd aspect will take care of itself. Because the crowd can see that you're nailing all the notes, all the poses with the proper notes and everything looks pretty awesome, right? Whereas if you pick some music that you like, but it doesn't suit your body at all, or you don't know how to fucking pose to it because it's really weird music, which I have seen, the crowd's sitting there like, okay, what am I watching? This person just picked a song that he likes and now he's just dicking around up there. It's got to look like an act. Like it's got to look like a... It's got to look like you planned it, like you put some fucking effort into it. So, like I said, pick music that suits you, pick music that you compose to. Diego Molinick says, every time I go through posing rounds, my legs lose a significant amount of detail really fast. Any clue why this is? Uh, it's probably because you're a little flat, sounds like. It sounds like you're a little flat, you don't, you don't have enough carbs, and you're muscles a little depleted so when you start posing they start to disappear and then they get watery um that's my first guess as to what's happening like if you're doing a ton of cardio and you're depleted when you start posing first of all the car the trauma from the cardio you're gonna start to retain water right if the muscle's tired there's some water there if you don't have a lot of carbs in your system you start posing, you start burning up that glycogen. Once you start burning up that glycogen, the muscle flattens out. Well, as the muscle flattens out and there's water there because of the trauma from cardio, now you've lost a lot of your detail and separation. So maybe ease back on the cardio if you can a little bit, increase the food a little bit, and then try posing and see what happens. Dell's Fit Journal says, can you talk a little bit about training modification and diet modification as you get older 
into your late 30s and into your 40s. Just simple stuff. So training-wise, a lot more warm-ups or feeder sets or acclimation sets, whatever you want to call them. Um, you know, when I was younger, I used to go in and squat, you know, one plate, three plates, four plates, five plates. I would just skip over to the two plates. Now I go in and I start with the bar, go to a quarter, go to a plate, plate and a quarter, two plates, three plates, four plates. So there's like a lot of like, there's like three, four, five warm-up sets there before I get to three, four, five plates. So one thing for sure I've noticed in my 30, my late 30s and my now I'm 40 is that I have a lot more warm-up sets and a lot less failure sets. Whereas when I was younger, I had a lot of failure sets. Like my warm-up was almost a failure. Like I would sit there and do 25 reps for a warm-up. Not saying that's the way to do it. Um, and I'm not saying the way I'm doing it now is not better. I mean, a lot of people now, even younger guys I know, are doing like that Dorian Yates style of training where you kind of do one or two or three acclimation sets and then you only really have one set that's like all out to failure. That's kind of what I'm doing now. Now, diet-wise, um, your digestive system does not function the same way at 40 as it does at 20. When I was 20, I could eat nails and two hours later, I could eat more nails and it wouldn't matter. I just digest it all and be out of my system. Now, if I eat fucking pudding, I'm like, I can't fucking digest it because I put so much stress and so much binging and so much food, so much meat has gone through my system. I just don't feel like it functions as efficiently as it used to. So you have to be a lot more careful. You know, when you binge, you throw things off for a while. So I have to binge less or don't binge at all. Just have a normal cheat meal. Um, Another thing is you have to, even if you're not eating shitty food, you have to find clean foods that digest better than others. You know, like oatmeal used to be no problem. Now I like doing cream of rice better. Um, high fat stuff like peanut butter. Like I used to be able to crush peanut butter with like four meals a day. Now I don't eat peanut butter at all because it slows everything down so much. I can't use that fat. Now I use coconut oil instead. You have to just kind of feel things out for yourself and feel what your body's digesting better. And when you feel that, then you can start to eliminate the other things. Cody Wallace says, what's the most cringeworthy thing you've ever seen in the gym? I have to say people talking drives me fucking batshit. And I know that's wrong of me because some people go to the gym for their social time, right? Like it's not, nobody, not everybody's going to the gym to build a world-class physique or put on tons of muscle. Some people are just going there to feel good, talk to some friends. And I'm not saying just a little bit of talking. Like sometimes I'll go to the gym and there's people that they're not, I don't see them work out. They go from the water fountain to the other water fountain to bug the girl that's stretching to go walk on the treadmill next to the, and then they go back to the water fountain. And I'm like, does this fucking person do anything? Do they do anything in the hour that they were here? And the only reason I care is it feels good to, to go in there and work. I know it feels good for people to go into the gym and talk and have a social hour. That feels good. Oh, I'm connecting with people. Doesn't that, but it feels really good to go in there and sweat and bust your fucking balls. 
So I'm not angry. I just get annoyed. I'm like, you're missing out. You're missing out on the whole reason this gym exists. You're missing out. And you're really annoying me because you're fucking, you're in the gym and you're not doing anything. And then you're the one who's going to complain that you didn't make any gains or you're still fat or whatever the fuck it is. You know, like that's my biggest cringe worthy thing is people that don't do shit, but complain the most. Tiffy guy says, how often do you implement rest days? Do you do active rest days or straight up no gym on that day? Uh, I talked about this in a previous Q and a, I will mention again, rest days for me for a while. I did instinctive training. I think that's why I've been getting so, so hurt so much because it doesn't work for me because instinctively I want to go to the gym every day. So I was just way over training and not resting enough. Now I stopped and I actually have five days a week that I train. I have two rest days, Thursday and Sunday, and I don't miss them. And I just rest and I, I might do cardio in the morning, but that's it. I don't, I don't go train. I don't, I don't tax my system. My cardio is really light. It's like steady state level two or three on the step mill. It's not anything that's going to hurt my body. If anything, it's going to help me recover a little bit. So, um, yeah, no, uh, the cardio doesn't really count. If you're talking about weight training, I have two days where I don't touch the iron. It's Thursday, Sunday. Those are my days off. Sunday, I think most of the time I don't do cardio either. So really just that day is complete, complete nothingness. Rod Rim DP. I don't know what that name means, but it's fucked up. <laughs> he says, hi, Hoss. Which way do you think is better for gaining real size, competing, then rebounding, or taking a complete year off and bulking? My personal opinion is if you can be strict, if you are focused and if you can pay attention to detail and if you're not swaying from the program or falling off the program, I think taking a year off and dedicating yourself to putting on muscle, eating right, and just training your ass off, I think is the best way to make any significant gains. Darby O'Hara says, can you talk, provide... Can you talk, provide any insight into finding good women out there that are at least familiar with bodybuilding, the bodybuilding lifestyle, but are also independent and not crazy? I compete, but I also have a college degree and a good career in the field I'm educated in. (laughs) Okay, how can I find you a girl that's not crazy and perfect and has a good career and is fun and is sexy? And You're talking about a unicorn, man. Look, every person, girl or guy, Somebody, (laughs) a very smart man told me this once and I fully believe it. Every person, girl or woman or man, you're the best you're going to get is 80%, which means 20% is shit. So like for me, for example, my wife has me. I think she likes 80% of me, but she probably could do without the other 20%. So you're not going to find a girl that loves bodybuilding, is independent, and all this, not crazy. And all, there's going to be something wrong, right? Okay, assuming you find a girl that has something wrong, but it's something wrong that you can deal with because that's what we all end up finding. Cool. My opinion is this. Find a girl. Uh, you, In my opinion, do not find a girl at the bar. I know people are going to disagree with me, and that's fine. These are my own beliefs. 
I don't want to find a girl at the bar because if she drinks, she's probably going to be one of the girls that uh, is always bugging me that I train too much and I, and I, why don't I go out and drink more and can we just go out? And I don't want to deal with that. So I'm probably not going to find, if I'm a bodybuilder, I'm coming up and I'm really serious about bodybuilding. I'm probably not going to find my girlfriend at the bar. Most likely I'm going to find a girl at the gym, uh, at a yoga class, uh, at a supplement store. Um, she might work for a supplement company. She might be a supplement salesperson, something to do with the industry, right? Cause then she's going to understand what you're doing and then you have a better chance of lasting, right? Either she's going to be in it or she's going to understand it. Those to me are the two situations are that are most successful in our industry. Usually if a person has nothing to do with bodybuilding and no understanding of it at all, they're the ones that end up having trouble dealing with the, the daily monotony of the bodybuilding lifestyle. So yeah. So, you know, the gym is the best place to find a girl. If your gym doesn't have girls, go to a different gym. You know, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. I'm not a, I'm not the love doctor. I got lucky. I found a woman that was in the industry and understands what we do. And uh, I married her. Um, Pipo FL 10 says during off season in order to gain more size, is it better to train later in the day when you have more food in your body or is it the same if you train early after meal one? Uh, I've done both. When I was younger, I used to train like after four meals because I felt like I needed to have all this food in my system to go kill it at the gym. And then now in the last maybe five years, maybe more, I train after two or three meals because I feel like the longer I sit at home, the more tired I get. I think it's a personal preference, man. I I can't tell you what's better. I know people that train at 11 o'clock at night and they fucking kill it. And I know people that train after meal one and they kill it. So I personally don't think there's a better... It's hard to point to a better situation when you know there are guys that are great bodybuilders that train at night. So if I had to pick one, I personally think it's more efficient to train after one or two meals. I think two is best, but one or two meals because I don't want to have a lot of food in my stomach when I'm training. I want to be, I want to feel light. I want to, get a meal in. So I have, you know, I've stopped any type of catabolic process and I can get to the gym with some food in my system. And then I want to go train while I don't have like a ton of food and water and everything built up in my system. I want to feel light with a ton of energy. I just woke up. I'm good. And that's when I want to get it done. But that's not for everybody. Some people want to feel like they have a lot of food in their system. They, you know, they had potatoes and steak and rice all day long. And now they get to the gym, they can just go fucking unload, right? That's also valid. I'm not going to say that that's wrong, but I'm also not going to say it's wrong to go for I think it depends on you. It depends on what you like. You have to try both and see which one you feel works better for you. Uh, Daniel Owens says, oh, this is like second question, I think. Yeah. That's your fourth question. All right. Let's get that guy. I feel bad, man. There's other people. So 
Curry Fitness says, what are your protocols for peak week, such as gear, diet, and training? Okay, we'll start with training. Training-wise, I usually train Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And I usually go legs on Sunday because I want my legs to recover by the show because I don't want like a film of water over them. So I don't want to train like legs on Thursday and then step on stage on Saturday because most likely there's still going to be trauma to the muscle and they're going to be, there's going to be a film of water there. Now, even my leg workout on that Sunday is not going to be balls to the wall, squatting, all this shit. It's going to probably be more machines, leg press, hack squat, which is still hard, but it's not going to be insane weight. Probably more 10 to 15s with just like a moderate weight. Uh, so, cause I want, to put blood in the muscle, I want to put glycogen in the muscle, but I, and, or, but I want, sorry, I want to deplete the muscle because I'm going to be carb loading later in the week. I want to drive blood to the muscle to keep it full, but I don't want to traumatize it so much that by Saturday it's still sore and covered with a film of water. You understand? So, legs Sunday, probably train uh, chest and shoulders uh, Monday. Um, I probably train back, uh, on Tuesday and then I would probably do arms on Wednesday. And then when I get to the place, usually if I'm flying or whatever to the venue, the Thursday I might do, you know, I probably, I'm carb loading now cause it's, I probably start my carb load Wednesday and Thursday, Friday. So I've carb loaded Wednesday when I get to the venue or get to the place I'm going to whatever, I'll probably do like a full body upper body circuit two or three times, just a 20 minute workout, just to drive more carbs to the muscles of my upper body. I won't train legs again though. I'm not doing cardio. If anything, I might go for a really light walk on a treadmill just to kind of get the water circulating in my body. Just so I'm not like, just, you know, I get that, you get that film of water uh, under your skin. I might do that on Friday as well. I might do just a 20 minute walk on a treadmill, like, you know, three miles per hour, two and a half miles per hour, just to kind of get the water moving around your body. Uh, that's about it for training. Now, uh, food, I probably would have started depleting the week previous, depending on my diet, but you're probably going to deplete, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, right? You know, six days, five days, three days, depending on how depleted you already are. You're probably going to start carb loading Wednesday, unless you're super, super depleted, you might start on Tuesday. But if everything goes right, you probably start Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Start loading those three days. Probably the heaviest day would be, this is just my system. Wednesday would be the heaviest day. Thursday would be a heavy day. Friday would be a little bit lower in carbs if your body took all the carbs properly. If not, Friday is probably going to be a heavy day as well. Diuretic. I don't use a diuretic with John. When I work with John Meadows, the last three shows we did, we didn't use diuretics. Um, We used a Senna product. Uh, which helps you go to the bathroom a lot. We use it the day before and it helps you kind of get rid of water along with all the waste in your body. And um, you wake up in the morning Saturday with an empty stomach and you wake up a little drier. Now, if you take too much of it, you can wake up fucking flat, which also happened to me. So you have to be careful with that. But we did not use any diuretics, which I would rather use like a laxative type product than uh, a diuretic. It's just safer. doesn't draw as much muscle out of water out of the muscle. Um, and it empties my stomach all at the same time. So I can pose better and have a smaller waist on, on stage. 
Um, as far as drugs go, uh, you're probably going to be stopped all your gear like by that week. So if everything goes perfectly, you may drop the GH two weeks out, maybe a week max, but two weeks out probably. You're probably going to drop all your injectables the week before. And you may only keep running your orals, like like say if you're running like an Anavar, Winstrol, or Halo, or something like that. You're probably going to run it till like Tuesday. You probably drop a T3 that night as well. The clan that night as well. The only thing you're probably going to keep to the show is maybe your anti-estrogens if you're running some Arimidex or some Proviron. Uh, you probably keep that in the last uh, Thursday, Friday. That's really about it. That's kind of how it goes. So I know some people start adding Anadrol to try and fill out, and some people keep think they should increase their drugs as you go. Listen, the more drugs you have in your body, the more water you're going to retain. If you ever see a natural guy that's absolutely fucking peeled, their skin looks like onion skin. It's just, there's nothing there. There's no water there. There's nothing causing that water retention. So even when we discuss drugs that are not water retentive drugs, you're still going to retain water. So we try and pull a lot of the drugs out as we get to the show because you don't need them. You want your body to relax, expel the water, and just leave that muscle and skin and be very comfortable as you walk on stage. Philip Ferreira, seven, says, never tore something before. Are there any warning signs you feel before you're about to tear something? In your experience, could there be a difference in the burning pain you feel when you're pumping that muscle versus the feeling when you're close to tearing? This is really shitty as an answer, but there is not a way to tell because I'll give you two examples, okay? I tore my tricep recently. I've had elbow, I had severe tendonitis, okay? But I've had tendonitis for 10 years. So you can't say that tendonitis means you're going to get a tear because I had tendonitis for a long time before it finally tore. So... That's not for sure a thing, but the pain was worse than years past. Like it was, I was really band-aiding it a lot. Like I was putting a lot of creams on it to keep it warm and a lot of like elbow sleeves and things like that. I was doing a lot of icing post-workout just to get through to the next workouts. And if you're asking why I didn't stop, it's because I was getting ready for a show and I couldn't stop. Um, now when I tore my hamstring or my lat, you know, I tore my Terry's. I tore my hamstring, a 12, 12 centimeter gash in my hamstring. There was nothing, no pain whatsoever, nothing. And my hamstrings had been strong as fuck for weeks on end. Week after week after week, I was going in and I was like leg curling the stack. Like I'd never been so strong on hamstrings for like this happened for a few months. And then finally it just went and it was pop. Never fucking even felt a thing until it popped. The only thing I point to that day was my therapist had done some extreme stretching in my hamstrings the day before. I don't know if that meant anything. I don't know if I had anything to do with it, but that's the only thing I can point to, which I don't think is why it happened. 
But if I had to say something was different, that was the only thing that was different. But there was no pain. And my strength was through the roof. It wasn't even like, you know, I would, would have never known. So I don't know. I personally feel like if you're going to go balls to the wall, if you're going to go crazy, if you're going to train your fucking ass off, things are going to happen, you know? But I'm not saying you have to train that way to be great. If you look at Dexter, Dexter doesn't train the way Ronnie trained. It's not to say he doesn't train hard. He still has intensity, but he doesn't train the way Ronnie trained. Ronnie trained like an animal with free weights and heavy weights and, and twice a day and all that shit. And his body got beat up. And same with Dorian Yates, trained the same way with that heavy, high-intensity style. Body got beat up. So there's that debate, you know. Do you train smarter and have longevity, but maybe never know your true potential, even though Dexter's gotten there? But Dexter's intensity, I feel like, is through the roof. Or do you train balls out and take your body as far as it can go until it breaks? You know, if you knew it was going to break, you wouldn't do it, but you don't feel like it's going to break when you're doing it. That's, that's the problem. When do you drop the test C or E in GH pre-contest? We just kind of went over that. So, um, like I said, you're going to drop your test probably a week. Some people do a week and a half out. Uh, your GH, some people run it. If they're really, really shredded, they'll run it all the way to the show because it keeps you nice, keeps the muscle nice around. But some people feel like if they cut it out a couple weeks out, their body will relax. They'll flush out some more water and they'll get that really, really crisp look. It depends on your body and how your muscle looks without the GH. Some people could still, some people can still have that really round full look without the GH. And some people just get really flat as soon as you take it out. You got to kind of feel what kind of person you are before you know, but, I usually pull mine a couple weeks out and I let the carbs do the filling. Scottus Maximus, any tips for building your appetite up? I'm someone who struggles to eat enough to keep up with my metabolism and I struggle and the struggle isn't so much figuring out the solution, but maintaining the appetite it requires to take in that many calories in a day. I'm not sure what you're saying. Are you saying you can't eat enough to grow? Or you don't have any appetite, you can't keep your appetite high. It sounds like you're saying you can't keep your appetite high. So what I'm going to say is clean up your diet, take out any junk out of your diet, and uh, start from scratch. Start from scratch. Start from the cleanest diet you can come up with. Egg whites, rice, chicken, fish, potatoes. Start with that. Increase the calories with those foods. I guarantee you'll be hungry. Then when you get really hungry and you're eating a mass amount of those foods, then start adding the more calorie-dense stuff, the red meats, the avocados, the Ezekiel breads, the oatmeals. The, start adding more of that shit and see where your body stops and where it stops. Oh, oh, shit, I'll take that food back out. You got to start from a base somewhere and put food in from that spot until you know what your body can handle. Mayan Gyan 1989 says, what is one trait you would like to improve? And what is one trait you have that you're proud of? Uh, one trait I have that I'm proud of is the fact that I will not quit when I love something. 
So if I'm interested in something, if I want to do something, if I have a passion for it, nothing can pull me away from it. I, I want to make sure it works. Problem is I don't have a passion for a lot of things. So if I don't have a passion for something, I'll dump it after like, if I suck at it, I'm like, okay, fuck it. I don't want to do it anymore. But if I have a passion for it, I will keep working at it until I get it. Right. So that's one thing I'm proud of. Uh, the things I'm not proud of, there's a lot. Where do I start? If I had to pick one trait to improve, it would uh, try and be nicer. Just try and be a nicer person. I can be an asshole. I can be short. I can be selfish. Uh, yeah. I'd like to just be learn how to be better with people overall. That's one trait I want to improve. Um, Captain Jason Hook says, do you think Chris Bumstead can overthrow Breon this year? Tough call. I don't know. When I look at Chris Bumstead, I see the, the embodiment of what a classic physique is. Okay? That's, that, to me, is a classic physique. He's not overly muscular. I mean, he's muscular, but you know what I mean. I'm talking open bodybuilding. He looks athletic. Like, uh, it's almost statuesque in a way, right? Like, that's, to me, a classic physique. But then when I look at Breon... And I look at the requirements of what classic physique is. He has Chris Bumstead's weak points. You know, Chris is weak in the arms and Chris is a little weak in the back. Breon has a great back and he has great arms. So when you put them beside each other, it's hard. When you see Chris by himself, you're like, that's classic all fucking day, right? No problem. That's the guy. But then when you put them next to each other, you're like, oh, Breon has great arms and that front double bicep looks nuts, right? And then you do the back, you know, those classic back poses and you, you know, see all the detail in Breon's back and the size and you're like, and you see him next to Chris and you're like, wait a minute, Chris is lagging something somewhere, right? So I don't know. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know what the answer is. I think if I had to pick, I would have to see him next to each other for sure again this year. I think if I had to pick what classic physique was, it wouldn't be something you could see on paper. It would be something that you just see. If you're seeing it on paper, Breon wins. If you're going by feeling, which I don't know even know what that means. I'm just saying like that feeling like that guy looks like a classic guy. I pick Chris. So if somebody can quantify that for me, that's great, but I don't know exactly what I'm trying to, to, to say, but there is a, a look you can feel and you can see that's classic when you look at certain body, certain physiques. But then you can see on paper when you say, okay, this guy's this tall and this weight and these are the body parts he has where you say, okay, Breon has everything. So... That's the problem is one is a feeling you're getting and one is a on paper. It's clearly what it's defined as. So in that sense, Breon's Mr. Olympia. Um, Maybar 88 says, why is the bodybuilding community dismissive or appear uninterested in the results of the scientific community? Given that the scientific world over the last few years has been providing some great insight into what causes hypertrophy that mechanisms impact on volume and the effective doses of volume for hypertrophy. 
It seems odd that many in the bodybuilding world are either dismissing those studies with prejudice or dismissing them despite the fact their own training confirms the results when critically examined. Uh, How can I put this? I don't agree. I think, okay, I don't think this is going to sound really meatheadish. I don't think science has all the answers. I think some of it is theory. Some of it is conclusive evidence. But I do think bodybuilding does take a lot from science. I think when we look at diets, I think the way the diets we have now have improved over the last, you know, look at the diets they're eating in the 80s. And then now look at our diets. We have a better understanding of how much protein we need. You know, we've kind of solidified that like gram and a half per pound. Um, we have a better understanding of the carbs we need, the fats we need. Um, I think there's a lot of things we take from science. I think there's a better understanding of maybe we don't have to go to failure on every set to, to gain muscle. Um, some people don't train as heavy as they used to, but I also think there is theory and then there is practice. And I think when you have a guy, when you have a significant amount of guys like, okay, if a scientist says you don't have to train to failure and you don't have to train heavy to gain muscle. Okay. Why are, the best Mr. Olympias, the guys that train the heaviest and the guys that train to failure. Leave out the Mr. Olympias. Why are, why are the best bodybuilders the guys that train the heaviest and the guys that train to failure? I mean, look, you can, you can, you can run down the list. You know, Rich Gaspari, known for training to failure, second at the Olympia how many years? Lee Haney. Okay, Lee Haney was known, okay, Lee Haney was known for you know, uh, stimulate, don't annihilate. True. But he's also known for training to failure. So his stimulate is not the average guy's stimulate. Um, you know, you have Dorian Yates, you have Kevin Lavroni used to bench five plates routinely. You know, you have the pick the person, pick the bodybuilder, pick the greatest bodybuilders on earth over the last 30 years and explain to me why the science doesn't match the profession. Are you saying those bodybuilders could have been better if they didn't train that way? Because I don't believe that. I feel like they got the most out of their bodies doing it that way, even though science says that's not the way. So I'm not sure exactly what scientific studies you're talking about, but the ones I've seen recently have said that you don't have to train a failure to put on a ton of muscle which I don't think you have to train to failure to gain muscle, but what's saying that training to failure won't gain more muscle? I haven't seen that study. Um, I've seen studies that say you don't have to train heavy to gain muscle, which I also believe, but is there a study that says training heavy won't gain more muscle than training light? There are some, and I've seen the results that say it's only, oh, it's only a little bit more muscle, but when you're talking about the best guys in the world, 
if if bodybuilder A is doing the scientific approach, which is don't train to failure and don't train heavy, and you can still gain muscle, because if you do it the other way, you're only going to be a little bit better. That 1% or 2% may be the difference between fifth at the Olympia and first at the Olympia. So I'm not sure exactly what science we're not listening to. Maybe you could be a little bit more specific to me. I do think we take a lot of our cues from science, but bodybuilders are also guinea pigs in a way. We experiment in our own ways and, and we have our own notes. We are, we're our own science. But what is science? Science is I have a theory. I'm going to put it in practice. And I'm going to do an experiment and see how long it works and see if it works. We do that every day. We do that every day. Today, I'm going to eat chicken. This week, I'm going to eat chicken. I'm going to eat chicken and fish and egg whites and see how my body looks. Next week, I'm going to eat fucking steak and peanut butter and eggs. And I'm going to see how my body looks. Those are experiments. That's science. I'm doing my own experiment. So... We take our cues from the scientific community, but we also have our own input because I don't think the scientific community is doing studies on Ronnie Coleman or Dorian Yates or Flex Wheeler or Luke Sandow or anybody of that caliber. I think they're doing their studies on, you know, the guy at the gym that kind of trains hard. That's not what we're doing. We have our own input. So, I'm not sure why the scientific, I'll pose the question back to you. I'm not sure why the scientific community doesn't respect the bodybuilding community because we've been doing experiments for 50 years. And that's why we have progressed to the place we are. The scientific community has coined the term bro science as a joke, like laughing at the bodybuilding community. Why are you guys, oh, look at that, it's bro, look at that guy, he trains five days a week and he does one body part a day, what stupid fucking bro science is that, oh, that guy eats six meals a day, that's bro science, why? Why is that bro science? Because the scientific community says that eating your caloric intake for the day in one meal is the same as eating it in six meals, I beg to differ. Try it. Try it my way and go to the gym and then try it your way and go to the gym and see who has better performance. So you can use the term bro science to diminish the effort that us as bodybuilders have put in to try and learn our bodies and progress our physiques to a certain level. But we're doing our own science experiments on ourselves. And we respect scientists but scientists don't respect us. But I don't believe that any scientists are doing studies on guys like us. So how can your study apply to me fully? I mean, partially it's going to apply, of course. But how can I not have my own input if you're not actually doing a study on a person of my caliber or somebody better than me? So I have my own questions back to you, I guess. Bad Arbuna says, do you think that due to bad or no education on enhancement drugs, people are getting this bad idea about bodybuilding? And not only for the industry, but for the general public. Yes, I do. That's why I started my podcast. So the reason I started the Real Bodybuilding Podcast, and I've said this before to those who listen, is there are a lot of people on the fringes of bodybuilding that have taken up the voice 
of bodybuilding because bodybuilders themselves aren't doing it. I'm not going to name any names because I keep naming them and I don't want to give them any more press, but there are people that I, that are not bodybuilders. Okay. They're not professional bodybuilders. Okay. They're bodybuilders. They go to the gym and they lift weights and they build muscle. That's a bodybuilder. They're not competitive professional bodybuilders. So they're not the elite of the bodybuilding group. And there are others who also are not the elite of the bodybuilding group that espouse to know what, what the elite are doing. They're giving all the information. I know what this professional does. I know what this professional does. I know everything. Yes, all of that is giving the industry a bad name because a lot of it's bullshit. So I decided to put up the podcast so I can get the guys on and you can hear it from their mouth, what they're doing and why they're doing it and how they're doing it and hopefully take back our voice and give us back our credibility instead of letting these fucking people who have no idea put out these crazy numbers that are hurting people and just hurting the industry and hurting the way people see us in general. That's why. Brian Good says, do, do you need a coach in the off season? Uh, depends. Um, I'll put it this way. If you know how to put together your daily calories, if you know how to put together your, what you need for the day to exist, your basal metabolic rate, and you know how to add the workload onto it, and you know how to add a surplus, as long as you know, look, if you have a basic understanding of how many calories you need and what foods to eat, then I don't know if you need a coach in the off season as long as you have your own focus, okay? If you binge all the time and you can't stay on a fucking diet and you have no idea what to eat and you have no idea what to do, then yeah, you need a coach, okay? You're, you need a coach. You need a coach to keep you on track and keep you growing and keep you eating and keep you focused because I'll be honest with you, the majority of the problem is not people having trouble dieting. A lot of people get really hyped up when it's time to do a contest prep. The reason people don't make any progress is because their off seasons are shit because nobody can focus when the spotlight's not on them. Oh, it's just the off season. My show isn't for 10 months. Yeah, well, if you don't do anything for the next seven months ahead, in 10 months, you're going to look like shit or you're going to look the same as the last show and no one's going to care. So yeah, if you're one of those people that can't stay focused, get an off-season coach. Mr. Red Lion says, could you ever... Could you go over your weaknesses, faults as a bodybuilder over the years, be it diet-related, training, supplement, psychological? Holy shit, that's a lot of problems. My waist is thick. My arms are too small. My calves are too small. My hamstrings are good from the back but not from the side. My back could be thicker. I wish I had no anxiety. What else? What else do you want? What other fault? What other faults? Do you, I wish I wasn't an asshole to everybody. What other faults do you want? Listen, we all have faults. Okay. If you want me to pick apart my physique and pick apart my personality, it's not hard to do, right? Everybody can do it, but that's what we're doing. That's what bodybuilding is. That's why I came up with the term. We're not just building bodies. We're build, we're building character. 
because as you build your physique and as you learn to change the bad things about your physique, it's funny, something happens to your brain in the process and you mature a lot faster than you would normally, I think, as long as you commit yourself 100% to your problems, to your, to your to changing your body. So yeah, I mean, there's a million problems we could go over, right? But this is like one of the things. Now, the second part of the question says, if you could go back and change or alter things that you feel would have made you a more successful bodybuilder up to now, what would you do? So all those problems I listed, I tried, I've been trying since I started to fix them. Some things are genetic. My arms are never going to look like Rolly Winkler's arms. My calves are never going to look like Ben Pakulski's calves. It's just, you have to be thankful in, with what you have and you have to make it the best it can be. So it outweighs your negatives. Just like if you have a negative psychologically, like if you're a selfish person, you have to make a conscious effort to give back to people so that you can counter that shitty aspect of yourself. Um, I don't choose to focus on all the negative things about myself. I choose to focus on how I can make them better um, and how I can just be a better person and how I can be the best bodybuilder I can be with what I have. Uh, I don't think sometimes things are not changeable. So you have to work with what you got. Josh Mo 329 says, I would like to ask, why is it that some people bench with the, when some people bench, they arch their back like they're a freaking rainbow and only getting a quarter reps in. Am I the only one like, what the fuck? That comes from powerlifting. So I believe that a proper bench to build muscle leaves your back flat. Obviously, there's going to be a small arch in your back, you know, here and there, but that crazy arch that you see, that's a powerlifting thing. It's to get your chest really high up, shortens the rep, makes it so you can bench more, right? You're not going as deep. But we're not we're not powerlifting. We're trying to build muscle. So keep your back flat. Small arch is normal. That's why it drives me nuts as well when I see people in there. They get their they kick their heels all the way back and they got their toes dug in and they arch their back as much as they can and they do like a quarter rep or a half rep with four plates. If you're not powerlifting, if you're trying to build muscle, that's a joke, right? So, um, yeah, I agree with you. The arching thing is a powerlifting thing only. Be Real Swan says, ever had a bad chest strain? Chest strain. I found a good way to not restrain it. It seems to keep happening to me. Be Real Swan, I would go, this is what I would do in steps. Go get an ultrasound, figure out what, the problem is if it's torn or not torn or whatever, because that's most likely what it is. It's not a strain. It's probably a small tear. Then take the steps to recover. See a physiotherapist, see a massage therapist, take the time off that you need to take off. When your physiotherapist says you can go back and train, just to be sure, I would go back and get another ultrasound and see if it's healed. If they say it's healed, then go back to training lightly and start slowly back to where you were before then you should be okay. If it keeps happening from there, it might be a mechanical issue or something from there, like something you're doing wrong in your, in your press that you might have to have a trainer or a physiotherapist come take a look at it. But 
my personal belief is you probably have an injury that you're not letting heal properly. DMAC runs 709, says cardio before or after training. After training, don't do cardio before training. Use the glycogen you have in the muscle to work out with weights. After you're done working out with weights, you burned off all that glycogen, then go do cardio. The theory is that you will burn more fat when the glycogen is already burned off from the weight training anyway. So do your cardio post-weight training. Luke Strong 18 says, what were some of the things you learned about bodybuilding as you were coming up that you wish you would have known before you started? Nothing really. I kind of, I kind of knew what to expect. I knew that if I wanted money, I was going to have to do well. I knew that if sponsors were going to pick me up, I was going to have to have something to offer. I think I've always been a realist. I've never kind of seen anything for not being what it really is. There's nothing about the bodybuilding world that was surprising to me. Sorry. <laughs> Pogo Lahandrej says, what is your opinion on giant sets style of training that Milo Sarchev somewhat invented? Did you by any means ever try it? If so, do you like it? I like it for shock purposes. It's not a way I would train on a regular basis. I feel like it's more cardio than hypertrophy. Um, that's just my opinion. I could be wrong, but it's not my style. I, I don't, I've done it, but like I said, just for a shock workout, for a way to increase a pump like once in a while, but it's not a, definitely not a way I would train on a regular basis. Muscle Freak 47 says, how do pros stay that lean in the off season eating over eight, six to 8,000 calories? I doubt very highly that a lot of pros eat six to 8,000 calories. There might be the odd pro here and there and that their genetics might call for it. You know what I mean? I don't think very many people eat six to 8,000 calories, but you have to keep in mind also if they are, it's probably their output. I mean, if you're doing training in the morning or cardio in the morning, training in the afternoon, like my calorie expenditure for the day, if, if I'm doing a lot of output, like if I'm doing a lot of, if I'm doing like cardio in the morning, training at night, or maybe even two cardios or two training sessions is like 5,000 calories a day. That's by the numbers, like figured out 48, it was like 4,900. So if you want a surplus to put on a little bit of weight, it's going to be 5,500, 6,000. That's why I'm 30 pounds overweight, right? So when you're carrying that much muscle, you need 5,000 calories. Just if you've got a lot of output, you're going to need 5,000 calories just to maintain your body so if you're trying to put on size you're going to want to put that that surplus in so it depends what you're seeing is it's a massive bodybuilder right guys who weigh you know lean body mass of 250 pounds that's a big person so that person needs that muscle needs to be fed so then to grow it needs to be you need a surplus i don't know very many people doing 8,000 calories i mean justin compton was but he's training twice a day and he's a freak. So that's not a, that's not a common thing. Uh, hey, Fuad, DeFranco Tony says, Hey, Fuad, what's your thoughts on running HCG while running a cycle to make the recovery smoother? Fact or myth? I personally believe it's a myth. If I'm on, my natural testosterone is probably shut off. 
and it's going to stay shut off as long as I'm injecting synthetic testosterone. So I don't see a point in taking HCG until I've come off and I'm ready to recover my natural uh, testosterone production. Um, Sanderson Fit says, could you speak on acclimation sets and how you personally utilize them? So an acclimation set is also a feeder set, is also a warm-up set. That's very simple. Every exercise, there's acclimation sets, or like I said, feeder sets. I don't do an exercise. I don't ever walk up to an exercise and go right to my heaviest. Like, let's say I'm doing bench press and I'm healthy, right? My heaviest set's probably going to be 405 for six to eight reps. There'll never, ever be a time, even when I started and I was young and I was really healthy, there was never, ever a time I walk up to the bench and just put 405 on the bar or 315 on the bar. So acclimation sets are always there to get me used to it. So I always have two or three at least before getting to my heaviest set. It's just a way to stay safe. And uh, that's it. You're never, ever going to go. It's never, ever smart, in my opinion, to go right to your heaviest set, even at 10 reps, from zero. You're just kind of asking for trouble. Plus, not to mention, there is a like a pre-exhaust notion to it as well, right? If I'm benching and get in, I get three sets in, I got everything warmed up, I got the muscles working a little bit, I got everything activated, that last set is going to be better. I'm just, there's, more, there's already blood there, the muscles already activated, it's ready to give me everything it's got. You're not going to go to an exercise like that cold, right? Chris Tyler, 93, says, is muscle density something that improves over time or are there ways to make your muscles appear more dense? Uh, I think density is partially genetic, but it's a lot of it has to do with your training style, and it is over time. I've never seen anybody at 20 years old look dense, right? It's usually somebody who's got five years, 10 years, 15 years of training under their belt. So, Muscle density, like you see in somebody like a Dorian Yates or like, uh, you know, pick your, pick your bodybuilder that you think is dense. That's, that's not something that happens. I, I've never really seen it in somebody uh, in the first two, three years of their training. Like if you look at Ian, Ian, Ian uh, Valier is very, or Valier, I don't know how you say it, is very, very dense as a bodybuilder, but he's into his you know, 10th year of training. He's 27 now, I think, or third, I think he's 30. I don't know. But he's into like his 10th year of training to have that type of density and gnarly looking muscle. It's not something that he had when he turned pro. He was conditioned, he was shredded, but this new found like real thickness and real density has come over time and just pounding out that iron, right? So it takes time. Big Dog Fit says, you always comment on how sometimes you meet someone who makes you realize you can work even harder. Can you tell us when this happened to you and who it was? Yeah, I really believe that everybody thinks they work hard. Everybody, when they start, because they train with their buddy or whatever, who they train with, they train by themselves, they think, I'm crushing it. I'm crushing it. I've seen guys at the gym barely fucking train and then go home and write on their Instagram, I killed it today. In their head, they probably did. I know if I worked out with that person, I could get 50% more out of them. So, like I said, everybody when they're alone or when they're with their buddy who maybe doesn't know either, thinks they're killing it. 
They're crushing it. I'm working so hard. I'm sore in the morning. That must mean I'm working hard. I'm uncomfortable when I eat. I must be eating as much as I can eat. Until you bump into somebody who does know how to eat or does know how to train. Then you're like, oh, I can, I can go deeper on a squat and that hurts my legs more. Holy fuck, I'm way more sore the next day. Or, oh, I can squat after one minute. I don't need a five-minute break. Wow, I'm really taxed. I can't breathe. This is fucking really hard. I think I'm going to puke. That's a thought people have had when they've trained with me. That's a thought I've had, and that's what you asked. So when I first went to work with John Meadows, he got more out of me. Now, he didn't get more out of me in training intensity as far as like speed of the speed of the workout or going to failure. He got he didn't get more out of me in terms of weight lifted because John was stronger than me when he was younger, but I think at the time we had trained together, we were about the same strength. Um where he got me was training techniques. He started adding some rest pause into my program. He started adding some static holds into my program. Um, started adding more drop sets. Just, just really things that I didn't think of and didn't think of how to utilize them the way he taught me to. So there is always somebody who can get more from you. Just recently. Worked out with Jordan Shallows, was doing lying leg curls. I thought I was killing it. He goes, hey, do it this way. Showed me a new way to do it. My hamstrings are fried. It's not always, oh, that guy made me throw up. Working harder is sometimes working smarter too. So there's always going to be somebody. There's always going to be somebody who knows more. There's always going to be somebody who can push you to your limit or past it. So I think the best thing you can do if you really want to be the best you can be is find those people. If you have to pay, pay those people. If you have a local bodybuilder that's a pro that's offering to go train with them for a couple hundred bucks, pay the money and go get your ass kicked because you're going to leave there and you're going to remember that for the next year before your show. You're going to go, I'm not working hard enough. I remember what it felt like. I remember what he got out of me. I can never go back from that now because I know I'm not I'm not giving it everything I got. That's what it does. It's not like going to train with John once was not the solution to all my problems because that one day he kicked my ass. No, going to train with John once was a solution because after I left there, I knew I had another gear that I didn't know I had before I got there. So now when I go home to work out, I can never go back from that because then in my mind, I'm like, you're slacking. You're slacking. Go back to where John took you or else you're slacking. So it teaches you that you have more in you so that you can never be a lazy fuck again. That's the benefit to training with people that are better than you. Find those people and get, and get better yourself. Um... Mike McMillan one says when calories get low deep into a prep to utilize more green veggies towards your carb intake for added volume with your meals to fill your stomach. No, I add more water. I don't, I don't add more food. 
I mean, yeah, maybe you want to say like I go from like a cup of greens to a cup and a half. Sure. I'm not going to lie. But that's not, I don't go from like a cup of broccoli to like four cups because I'm like, I'm hungry. No, you just fucking suffer with the hunger. That's part of bodybuilding. Drink more water. That's it. There's no, trust me, man, when I'm hungry, I'll fucking eat anything. I look for food in the fridge. I open the fridge and I stare in there and I'm like, there's got to be something in here to eat. There's got to be something I can eat that's not, that's calorie free. There is no such thing. Everything has calories, even if they're easily burned off or whatever. It doesn't matter. I, in my mind, I can't do it. I'm a little bit OCD like that. When I'm dieting, I stick to my diet. If I'm super fucking hungry and I need something, it's water. I just guzzle, guzzle, guzzle until I'm like bloated. And then I'm like, okay, I don't, I'm fine. I'll get over it. I deal with it. That's it. McCarps48 says, after I'm done training legs, I don't have an appetite until an hour or so. I can't even stomach a post-protein shake. Is this normal or am I doing something wrong? No, if you're training legs hard, that's totally fucking normal. I lose my appetite too. The, what you are doing wrong is waiting. Um, and I'm not saying you have to get the anabolic window and all that shit. I just think you should eat. Now, if you're drinking like an intra-workout shake that has EAAs and all that stuff in it, that's fine. You're protected for a little while, but I would, in my opinion, uh, at least go home and have a shake. I know you said you can't have a, pro- a protein shake, but at least have some aminos. You know, if you can drink some essential amino acids post-workout, at least you have something flowing through your body. But you can't be so full that you can't drink a protein shake. You know what I mean? Like it's a little bit much. Like you have to be able to just chug a protein shake. It's if you get good protein, if you get a quality protein, it's literally like water like it should be very smooth going down so protein shake with a banana post-workout you got to get it in you know within a half an hour if you're drinking if you're drinking an intra-workout shake with essential aminos in it just try and drink a shake within a half within a half an hour then wait wait an hour after that and then eat a meal um Let's see, where are we here? I'm trying to get a couple more in before the end. We've been on for quite a while. Um, let's see here. Last one. NSAID99 says, thoughts on high trend, low test cycle versus vice versa. No, I don't think it's a good idea. High trend is alone. Not a good idea. Listen, man, that shit's toxic. It's like, it fucks with your mind. It fucks with your body. I think Tren is a valuable drug. I think it's better to be used sparingly or doing a contest prep. Uh, can be used in the off season, like in the test E form. But <clears throat> sparingly meaning like six-week cycles of it, eight-week cycles of it max. Uh, and... Not in high doses if you are going to run it longer. I don't. In the off season, my trend cycles at their highest were 600 a week, which is high, but for short periods of time. And they're on average 300 a week. Now, I'm not saying that's it. There's other stuff in my stack. But I don't like 
high trend doses. It seemed to fuck with me quite a bit and they fuck with my blood work. So I don't advise that. If I had a choice, if you're giving me a choice, high trend and low test versus high test and low trend, I'm taking high test all day long. I don't think there are a ton of side effects from high test, depending on what high is relatively high. I mean, if you're taking over 1500 milligrams, you're probably going to get more side effects, more acne, more water retention, blah, 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 higher estrogen levels, more gynecomastia, all these things. But um, if you're taking a proper dose for your body, for what you're used to, uh, I would go with high test, low trend all day long because the more toxic a substance, the worse it's going to be for your blood work. The worse it's going to be for your blood pressure. The worse it's going to be for your liver. The worse it's going to be. I mean, it's just the, the problems go on and on, right? So I would, um, yeah, keep the toxic drugs like the trend, the anadrol, the D-ball. Either keep the doses low or if you're going to keep the doses on the higher end, keep the cycle shorter so that you're not killing your body with this extremely toxic stuff for long periods of time. Just my two cents. Okay, guys, that's going to wrap up uh, Q&A number five. Uh, we've been on for about an hour and a half now, so I'm going to cut this into maybe three parts just to kind of make it easier for viewing. Um, so, again, uh, thank you guys for watching. Uh, check me out on Instagram. Check out my merchandise at hostile.com and coaching is at foodabiad.com. Also, subscribe to the channel if you haven't yet and keep an eye out for my Real Bodybuilding podcast that comes out once a week and my Bodybuilding and Bullocks episodes with Luke that come out every Monday. Um, I'm really, really thankful for all the feedback we've been getting. Everybody seems pretty happy with everything we're putting out. And keep watching the channel if you want real information. Okay, I know that other shit's very sensational and it's like, really cool what they're doing and it's like oh they they must be telling the truth because it's such crazy doses they're not telling you the truth man they're not telling you the truth maybe it's their truth and that's fine but if they're saying that's what the pro bodybuilders are doing or that's what you have to do to get big or whatever they're fucking lying to you so if you want real information and you want real answers there's only a couple channels out there that I really believe in, right? Like I think RX muscle does a really good job. Like Dave with his Q and a is the best. Okay. He's better than me. He's, he's great. He's extremely intelligent. Um, you know, there's like the Nick power and strength channel. That's really, really good for like bodybuilding news and all that shit. I really like that channel. There's not a lot of great channels for real information though. Okay. I'm sure I'm missing a bunch. I don't know them all. These are just the ones that I see, but, um, this is what I'm trying to do here. And this is what my guests are. That's why they're coming on because I'm, I'm telling them that I want to give you guys real insight to who we are and what we do so that you don't have to listen to the bullshit coming from, you know, the fringe elements of the, of the industry. So anyway, thank you guys for watching. And until uh, next week, get your questions in on Instagram, sacrifice without regret, and train your fucking asses off.